Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18, beginning at verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for this, your word, and I pray that as I give exposition to it, that your grace would be with me and with this, your people, and that you would receive the responses of our heart through the merits of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. <clears throat> Several years ago, Bill Moyers was giving a commencement speech at a university, and afterwards a lady came up to him and said, Mr. Moyers, uh, you've been in both journalism and government, and that makes everything you say twice as hard to believe. <laughs> and uh, with growing cynicism like that, you might wonder, well, why then are there still so many people who eagerly follow leadership in journalism, leadership in, in a government? And what makes for a good leader? Hitler was a very powerful leader, but I think we'd all say he was not a good leader, but he was very powerful in, the, in what he did. Is a leader just a person who is specially gifted, or is leadership something you can be trained into? There are some people who say, you know, anybody can be uh, trained into being a great leader, and I think most of us would recognize that's uh, uh, just simply not true. At the same time, all of us can grow in our ability to lead, and all of us are called from time to time to lead rather than simply being followers. Uh, there has been a debate for a long time in the literature about whether, you know, to what degree leadership is, is something that's a gifting, to what degree it's a training. I believe it is a, a mixture, a combination of both of those things. And I make a distinction between God's call to lead and the uh, gift or maybe positions of leadership. And I think you can make that distinction in many areas of life. All of us are called to teach. Uh, even in church, we're teaching and admonishing one another in hymns and songs and spiritual songs. We teach our children, but not all of us have the gift of teaching. All of us are called to give, but not all of us have the gift of giving. All of us are called to hospitality, but not all of us have the gift of hospitality. And I think the same is true of leadership. I think all of us can benefit from the principles that we're going to be looking at in Apollos, even though we may not have a position of leadership per se, uh, we may be a child or something, uh, a person who's uh, maybe, uh, there's always going to be some times, though, where we're called to be leaders instead of uh, followers. Now, let me first of all define leadership, and there's so many different good definitions out there, some much more complex than others, but I like the one I've put into your outline by Arthur Batista, a Canadian. He says that leadership is the art of balancing the following of a vision and persuading others to follow you in the act of following that vision. Well, some people are much uh, greater in their ability to do this uh, than others are. 
And from all that we know about Apollos, uh, not just in the book of Acts, but from the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the other epistles, it is clear Apollos was a great leader. And I want to look at some of the characteristics that made him great. Uh, Some of these we can imitate, uh, some we cannot. Verse 24 begins with something that Apollos could do nothing about. It was the family that he was born into, the circumstances of his uh, early upbringing. It says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, and we'll just stop there. I think just that little uh, clause there, a, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, talks about some of the sovereign foundations that God placed into this man that kind of ruled out leadership in certain communities and made him perfect for leadership in other communities. There's three facts here. He was a Jew. Uh, he uh, was, uh, had a Hellenistic name. It was the name of a god. And he was born into a famous community of Alexandria, Egypt. Now, the Alexandrian Jews were kind of uh, thought to be a bit compromised uh, by the Jews who were in, in Jerusalem. But even the Jews who were seeking to maintain close ties uh, with Israel uh, were so thoroughly trained in Greek thought and culture that it would have been very hard for Apollos to lead anyone in Jerusalem. Uh, he would certainly have had to change his name, but he was quite comfortable with his name, and he was quite comfortable with being Jewish. Uh, Apollos, like other Alexandrian Jews, had managed to uh, hold on to both the Jewish cultures and the Greek cultures. Uh, this was, uh, I think, in God's sovereign preparations, preparing him to bridge the gap between the Jews and uh, the Greeks. <clears throat> his Jewishness would have made him sensitive to the Jewish way of thinking, but his uh, being an Alexandrian Jew would have made him sensitive to Greek culture and Greek people in a way that Peter, James, and John never would be. Now, Peter began to be a little bit more sensitive along those lines. And continuing on in the first point, but uh, anticipating the next word, eloquent, there is an element in that Greek word that means learned. And Alexandria was the research capital of uh, the world. Uh, It had many uh, uh, scholars, both Jewish and non-Jewish. It boasted the largest library in the world, some 700,000 volumes. It was the place where the Bible was translated uh, into Greek, uh, known as the Septuagint. And so the sovereign foundations of his early life prepared him for leadership in a way that he had no choice about. It was just something God did for him. And I think we need to learn to trust God concerning the, the things that God has brought into uh, our early years. He has orchestrated all of those things uh, in a way that's preparing you to be and has prepared you to be exactly what God wanted you to be. I think Romans 8:28 pretty much guarantees God was in control of all of those all of those things. And some of you have had rather difficult childhoods, uh, some bitter things that uh, you grew up with. And rather than being bitter over those sovereign years, first 18 years that you had no choice in, you maybe you had some choices, but there's a lot of things just happened to you. You need to learn to see this is part of God's overall painting as, as he is crafting you to be the exact person that you need to be, how you were born, your genetic makeup, your personality, your parents, your upbringing. 
the schools that you went to, when you came to faith, uh, some of the difficult things, even the bizarre and evil things that happened to you, God was using those to frame you to be the kind of person you need to be uh, in His kingdom. I think one of the most exciting exercises that uh, a leadership development guy uh, did for me was what well, made me do actually it was a lot of work but uh was developing a personal timeline from the time that I was born up until the present which back then it was about 8 years ago I think maybe it was a little bit longer and just looking at all of the people the the good events the bad events the things that framed and and changed me and influenced me things made me bitter things that made me glad just looking at all of those different things and trying to see what values did that instill into my life how did it uh, make me react or overreact or whatever. As I began to process through those things, I, for the first time in my life, began to have a thorough appreciation for Romans 8:28, working even before I had embraced Christ as Savior, realizing that the painful events, some of the evil things that had happened to me, God actually had used those to prepare me to be who I am today. They were, they were a beautiful part of God's painting in my life. And uh, I would encourage you to do the same. God made Apollos incredibly effective in Corinth. Achaia is where he went to. That's Corinth. Uh, and he did so in part because of the upbringing that God sovereignly had put into his life. Now, of course, that same upbringing would make Apollos very ineffective in working in Palestine, but that's not where God wanted uh, Apollos to be working. Verse 24 goes on to describe Apollos as an eloquent man. Now, not all of us can be eloquent, and eloquence alone is not enough. You know, if a person's eloquent, but he didn't have other leadership qualities, all he's going to do is be entertaining. People will love to hear him speak, but they're not going to be led by him. And so eloquence alone is not enough. But eloquence can be a powerful tool as leaders seek to persuade people to be captured by a vision. Verse 24 goes on to fine-tune what kind of a leader God made Apollos to be when it says he was mighty in the Scriptures. Not everybody can marshal the Scriptures in, in, in a way that is powerful, pointed, and persuasive uh, to other people, and not everybody needs to because that's not the area of leadership. Maybe God is placing them in. But God made Apollos to be powerful in the way he handled the Scriptures. And uh, when he went to Corinth, he was so powerful that some people just became followers of Apollos. They didn't like, uh, we like Apollos' preaching. We don't like Paul's. We don't like Peter's. And Paul had to warn them, now wait a minute, don't be idolizing men or their giftings. You need to be thankful to the God who's weaving all of these things together and each part uh, is important. And so he is a, a loving a father uh, working in our lives uh, to make each of us, we may be powerful in one area, very weak in another area. But this was an ability that gave Apollos powerful leadership persuasion. The fourth thing that we see in verse 24 is the simple phrase, came to Ephesus, providential connections. Apollos just happened to come to Ephesus uh, right after Paul left, which was a blessing for the Ephesians because they only barely get introduced to Christianity and Paul's only there, it appears, like maybe one or two days and then he's, he's off to another place again. And Apollos just happens to leave for Achaia uh, just before 
Paul arrives in chapter 19, verse 1. Of course, we realize there isn't anything that just happens in life. It's all God's providential orchestrating of uh, events for his glory and for our good. And what God was doing is he was orchestrating his meeting with Aquila and Priscilla so that he could be strengthened in his leadership. He was going to be very much needed in Corinth, but God wanted him, first of all, to have some of this, uh, some of this training uh, from Aquila and Priscilla before he went there. Chance happenings were not chance after all. We can say the same thing about the events that come into our lives. They're all orchestrated by a loving Father who is trying to make us depend upon Him more, learn to taste of His grace, uh, how to depend upon Him, how, how to grow in our abilities. Even the evil things that happen to you, you need to see God's hand working through those. <clears throat> Many Christian leaders have learned to see God's hand in providence. Now, verse 25 speaks of some religious instruction that Apollos received. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, we learn from the next chapter that uh, because of the way Luke ties these two passages together, that it's very likely that Apollos had been brought to the Lord in Alexandria by some disciples of John the Baptist who had been trained by John, but had never seen the Messiah. They knew he was coming, but they had never seen him. And they had thoroughly prepared and instructed Apollos in, in, the, in the Scriptures. And this previous instruction pays off as he begins to teach in this needy mission field that Paul had neglected. I think uh, Thomas Jefferson's preparations of Lewis and Clark uh, and how those preparations came in so handy during the course of their explorations of the, of the continent. Uh, Jefferson sent Meriwether Lewis off to Philadelphia to study under the top scientists of the day. Uh, he spent months soaking up everything he could about botany, mineralogy, medicine, celestial navigation, and it paid off big time. Uh, leaders are constantly learning. They're trying constantly to stay ahead of the curve, and that's why some people use the expression, you can't lead if you don't read. You've got to constantly be growing. But perhaps the biggest aspect of his leadership abilities was uh, not that he was instructed, but that he was captured by God's grace. He was instructed, it says, in the way of the Lord. He had become gripped by a vision that was greater than him. This wasn't about him. This was about the way of the Lord. And this is true of all leadership, even in sports. Phil Jackson says, the most effective way to forge a winning team is to call on the player's need to connect with something larger than themselves. John McDonnell of the Boeing Company's board of directors said, if you have a vision, you will see opportunities where others see only problems. Uh, this was certainly true of the uh, missionary to India, um, uh, William Carey. People were trying to talk him out of going to India. This was just an insane move on his part. They said, just mind your own business, you know. Uh, work with uh, the business that you're used to and that you're good at. But he was captured by a vision of seeing India become a Christian nation. And even though he never saw India completely converted, the, the things that he was able to accomplish in India are nothing short of astounding because he was so captured by a vision of what God could do through him. You fathers can be get gripped by a vision that is greater than yourselves 
if you can think about the multi-generational impact that you can have upon your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and I would encourage you to listen to the CD series from Vision Forum the two, about the 200-year plan. But uh, be captured by vision. What is it God wants to do through me? Now, of course, he had an enthusiastic spirit to go along with that vision. Verse uh, 25 uh, describes him as fervent in spirit. Now, this deals with what some people call the emotional quotient, uh, EQ, not IQ. Um, but uh, leadership books point out that purpose and passion go hand in hand. To be effective, we've got to care. Okay, We've got to be on fire, have a fire burning within us that will take us through thick and through thin. And Apollos was passionate about what he believed. It wasn't just theory. God made him fervent in spirit. The eighth quality that he already had was accuracy in handling the Word. Now, this does not mean that leaders will not make mistakes. <laughs> they will. They do. Uh, they always have made mistakes. But what it does mean is that incompetence will never lead to leadership. Incompetence will never lead to leadership. If we men are going to lead our families effectively, we've got to read, begin to develop a knowledge base that will be able to help our families. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 <clears throat> says that our wives really are supposed to ask us all kinds of theological questions. Well, that implies we've got some answers to give, which implies we better be studying. If we're pastors of our families, we better be doing a little bit of seminary production, okay? Preparation in our lives. You need to be reading uh, books uh, like uh, Systematic Theology by Robert Raymond, um, Systematic Theology of the Christian Faith, or, or read how God's Word applies to all of life. And one of the uh, best introductions to that is a book that we're going to be going through, what is it, starting this next week, uh, David? Uh, Institutes of Biblical Law by Rush Dooney. Or you could get uh, the Puritan How-To Manual by Richard Baxter called A Christian Directory. Wow! I mean, this thing goes through every imaginable question, practical questions uh, relating to business and relating to family and, and all kinds of stuff. And he seeks to give biblical answers. But these are the kind of things we need to master because incompetence will never lead to leadership. We've got to become uh, more accurate and understanding God's Word. And then finally, he had boldness. Verse 26 says, So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. If leaders are afraid of risks, well, they won't take definitive action. If they're timid, people will not follow that. If they are pessimistic, it'll destroy faith. It'll, they'll be blinded to what God can do through them. Thomas Edison is credited with saying, Every significant accomplishment in the history of civilization was once considered impossible by all but a few. And it is those few who became leaders. And so you can see here just what we've gone through in these couple of verses here that Apollos had a remarkable mix of talents and vision and character qualities and faith. But what I want to point out under Roman numeral 2 is that great leaders, it doesn't matter how great they are, they still have room to grow. And they're still going to be determined to grow. And certainly, Apollos had room to grow. First of all, he lacked a theology of fulfillment. <clears throat> uh, verse 25 uh, says, He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord though he knew only the baptism of John. In other words, 
he was looking concerning the kingdom, which is what John was proclaiming. The kingdom is at hand. It's coming near. But he did not yet know that the Messiah had come. He was looking at the kingdom from an Old Testament perspective. Somehow he had heard the message, but not yet seen the Messiah. Apparently he knew nothing about Christ's death and resurrection. Apparently he knew nothing about uh, the coming of Pentecost. I think that's clear when we look at chapter 19 and as Luke is thematically connecting these two passages. And that's very significant. Matthew 11, verse 11 says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's the kind of contrast between looking at things from an Old Testament perspective and looking at things from within the kingdom. Now, if that was true of John the Baptist, who was the harbinger of, of the Messiah, what would this say about Apollos if he was still coming at it from an Old Testament perspective? He had room for growth. Very gifted preacher, but he had lacked a theology of fulfillment. Second, he lacked the fullness of experience. Verse 26 says, When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So he had an Old Testament perspective of the power of Christ's atonement. Now, he was a believer. I think that's pretty clear from the text. He was a Christian. He was a believer. But there was a vast difference between looking forward to something that has not yet been accomplished and looking back on the cross with a steadfast confidence that that cross has accomplished for us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Christ's blood has such power that Revelation 12 says that the saints overcame Satan by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. It has power in spiritual warfare that Old Testament saints, most Old Testament saints lack. How important is Christ's blood to your experience? A second, he only had an Old Testament experience of the victory of the resurrection. Well, if that was the case, that's pretty significant. You cannot read through the book of Ephesians without realizing that a radical change happened in the New Testament, at least to those in the New Testament who believe. He says, uh, who have faith in this. Paul says, he speaks of the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. And He put all things under His feet. So this is speaking of a powerful reality that has been transferred to us in a way that very few Old Testament saints experienced. He said that the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead is at work in those who believe. Now, how can we have faith though? How can we believe if we do not yet know that this victory has been accomplished. Do you know that resurrection power? Or do you live like the Old Testament saints did? Here, here's just a couple of examples of how this can make a difference. Ephesians 2, 6 says, "...has raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." That didn't happen in the Old Testament. That's happened to us now. We are seated with Christ as kings and priests. We are reigning with Him. Or at least we have the potential of it because it says only those who are overcomers have this ability in Revelation 2 to smite the nations with a rod of iron, you know, to, to reign with Him in this way. But he said this is what New Testament believers are called to. So when you pray, do you pray from a perspective of, of authority, of one who is seated with Christ in the heavenlies, one who rules there? Here's another example. 
Uh, Do you enter the Holy of Holies with boldness? A greater boldness than even the high priest had in the Old Testament. See, too many Christians, I think, live as if they are Old Testament believers. Praise God. That's, that's great. I mean, even here, Paulos has praised for what he had, but we're missing out on what the New Testament offers to believers. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So if we have that supernatural power, it will profoundly affect our leadership. He also lacked the New Testament baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, which we're going to address that in chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. Ordinarily, believers in the New Testament are ushered into this baptism of the Spirit at the time of their, of their conversion, uh, but that's for empowerment. Uh, the, the, the kingdom empowerment is what that's for. But these two passages indicate we can live as believers and still lack the Spirit's filling, His empowering for service. We need to be filled with the Spirit over and over again. And so we've seen there is room for growth in Apollos, and there will always be room for growth in us. The greatest leaders are those who are growing. But I think Roman numeral 3 is also critically important. It is that Apollos had the humility to learn from those that he was teaching. Look at verse 26 again. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Many leaders are not willing to listen to the suggestions of their people. Uh, Too many leaders, uh, they um, shut down productive discussion because they're pulling rank on their members. And this is true in business and churches and families. It's true in many different situations. But listen to what the old Presbyterian theologian James Bannerman had to say. Members and office bearers of the church are mutually entitled to give as well as to receive advice and counsel and that those in office are bound to give all due weight to the opinions of the membership so as, if possible, to bring about a mutual understanding and agreement. Leaders need to be willing to learn from those that they lead. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of greatness. Okay? Uh, It's not just church leaders, though, who can be tyrannical. So can fathers and so can husbands who will not listen to the needs and the the issues that uh, the the family wants to bring up. Businessmen can be the same. And so a willingness to learn from those that we lead is a sign of a great leader. Now, let's just take a look at how Aquila and Priscilla do this because I think they were effective in doing this because of their tact and their gentleness. You know... um, Leaders are much more willing to receive when we do it the way that Aquila and Priscilla uh, sought to instruct him. First of all, they gained the right to speak to him by listening. Verse 26 goes on to say, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. From the next phrase, we know that they heard him all the way through. You know, they politely uh, listened to him. They didn't walk out on him. They didn't stand up and say, you heretic, you know, that's wrong, Uh you know, James 1, 19 through 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. They were quick to hear. When leaders know that the followers are for them, they want their joy, they're willing to follow, but they want to also uh, help the leaders to grow. 
it's going to be much more joyful in receiving uh, that correction. The second thing that they did is to use tact. And that's hinted at in the contrast we see in verses 18 and 26. In verse 18, Priscilla's name is mentioned first, and uh, her name is mentioned first in Romans 16, verse 3, and 2 Timothy 4, verse 19. Now, that is so unusual in that culture. The commentaries say there's something obvious that Luke is trying to do here, and most of them conclude that uh, what Luke is indicating is Priscilla is just head and shoulders above Aquila in terms of knowledge and discernment and understanding. When they are together, it's obvious, you know, which of the two is likely to have uh, the answers and which of the two is likely to have quick discernment on this. And so what could have very easily happened because of the skills that Priscilla had she could have very easily become the leader of that family if she was not careful. But she did not. She did not. Uh, when they're explaining the way of God more accurately in verse 6, she makes sure that Aquila takes the lead. Aquila's name comes first in verse 26. Well, some versions follow four manuscripts, um, uh, but out of thousands of manuscripts, the vast bulk of them put Aquila first here. And Aquila in other places, the only times he is put first is when there is leadership that is involved. And so I think this is very significant here. Um, they're both talking, the passage indicates, both of them they're talking, but he takes the lead. And I think it's so tactful. It kept Aquila from feeling threatened by her giftings, and it kept Apollos from thinking, what's this woman uh, doing, you know, being out of place. There was a meshing together because of this tact of their gifts and their positions. It was beautiful. The second evidence of tact is that they pulled him aside and talked to him privately. Even though he was uh, making these mistakes publicly, he wasn't, I mean, he was accurately doing it, but he still did not know about certain things. They did not attack him publicly. Now, you look on the web and you see all of these people who are uh, starting up these, these blogs and these uh, websites to smear various leaders, their excuse for what they are doing is that, hey, these leaders are publicly talking, and so we don't need to talk to them privately. We can talk to them publicly as well. Not to them, but just expose what they're doing publicly. But I think Aquila and Priscilla uh, have a, a far uh, better plan. And then finally, they explained to him the way of God more accurately. This was not discipleship. This was not teaching. It's a much weaker word that is used in the Greek that refers simply to sharing information. Hey, we want to share with you some information you may not have been aware of. But even though there was tact that was used, Apollos had the teachability to benefit from it. And we as elders want to model that, being teachable, uh, receiving from our congregation, you know, correction and receiving from you uh, insights that we maybe have not seen. Fathers need to be teachable, uh, even from their children. Husbands need to be approachable and teachable uh, from their wives, businessmen as well. It's not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of a great leader. A great leader is always willing to learn from those that he teaches. There's one more point I want to develop and that is that a great leader finds power through dependence. And we're going to very quickly go through four areas of dependence. God's providence, God's people, His grace, and the Scriptures. First of all, Apollos was dependent upon God's providence. Verse 27 says, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, 
Apollos would prove to be incredibly helpful to the church in Corinth, but God's providence in meeting Priscilla and Aquila first was something that hugely helped his labors there. I mentioned the story of Lewis and Clark earlier. Uh, Thomas Jefferson had sent Lewis uh, Merriwell, uh, Mary, um, yeah, where was it? Merriwell, Mary, Mary something or other, um, it, yeah, Merriweather to uh, study in Philadelphia under some of the top scientists of the day, including a top um, a surgeon, uh, Dr. Benjamin Rush, uh, was the most celebrated surgeon of that and, and, and um, doctor of that uh, time. Some of his ideas, you know, we consider barbaric and, and bad, but some of the things actually saved the lives of this team that he was able to. Uh, to lead. Let me just tell you one story. In North Dakota, he was learning what he had, uh, using what he had learned about how to deliver babies to save the life of a young Indian woman by the name of Sacagawea, and a uh, very difficult um, uh, delivery. Uh, he saved her life. She joined the expedition the following spring. She was a Shoshone uh, Indian who had been taken captive by another tribe, had been freed, later on had married a uh, French-speaking Canadian, and uh, uh, when she joined with the Corps, when the Corps of Discovery was in desperate need of horses to cross the Bitterroot Range of the Rocky Mountains, they came across a band of Shoshone Indians. Now, we, they knew from afterwards in discussing that the Shoshone Indians had been debating whether just to slaughter them right then or to wait and find out what they were about, and they would have been slaughtered, it appears, except for the fact that Sacagawea was a Shoshone Indian, and she recognized her much-loved and long-lost brother was the chief of that tribe. What are the odds of that ever happening? Well, of course, it's not an issue of odds, is it? It's God's providence uh, leading them. And many leaders down through history have learned to depend upon God's providence to take them to the next level. Uh, they're trusting that God is for us, that He is not against us. Pessimism about God's providence uh, will destroy uh, our faith. In contrast, Apollos was excited about what God's providence had in store for him in Achaia. He wants to go there. He desires to cross over. Well, second, he was dependent on God's people. Verse 27 says, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. Now, being an unknown teacher, he needed to have a recommendation. Ordinarily, that was the way that things went. Leaders and followers need to be dependent upon each other. They cover for each other's strengths and weaknesses. There was a mutual dependence of leader and follower. In fact, you really don't have leadership without it. Third area of dependence was upon God's grace. Verse 27 continues... And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. He helped them, but the only reason he was able to help them is because they had already experienced God's grace working in them. Okay, leaders cannot produce changed hearts. We have got to be men of prayer and women of prayer uh, if we are to effectively work in the children and others that we are leading, because only God's grace can change their hearts. Now, if God's grace is present, yes, we can greatly help them, just as Apollos greatly helped them, but we are dependent upon His grace. We cannot do it in our own strength. And by the way, this is one of many scriptures which speaks of sovereign grace. 
It doesn't say they received grace because they had believed. It says that they believed because they had received God's grace. See, faith is a gift of God. It is a product of God's grace. There isn't anything that we can say, oh yeah, I'm saved because I provided this. Everything flows from God's grace. And wherever God's grace comes, faith will be raised up. Finally, he was dependent upon God's scriptures. Verse 28 says, For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. He didn't just depend upon his uh, eloquence. He depended upon the power of God's scriptures to refute the Jews uh, who were unbelieving and to uh, raise up faith within those who were God's elect. And whether we are followers or leaders, God's word must be the foundation of everything that we do. The authority of leaders is a delegated authority. It's subject to the word of God. We lose our authority when we lose the word. Martin Luther said, The only mark of the Christian church is following and obeying the word. When that is gone, let men boast as much as they please. Church, church, there is nothing in their boasting anyway. Therefore, you should say, Do the people have the word of God there? And do they accept it too? We can be the most gifted leaders in the world, but if we miss out on the Word of God, we have missed out on everything. And so my admonition to you is, even if you don't see yourself as being a leader, you're always going to be called to be leaders in some way, but even if you don't see yourself as being called to be a leader, look to Apollos for some of the characteristics that are there and pray that God would increase those in you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, that it is so practical. It is a guide to our steps. And we've not even, in this exposition, uh, said everything that could be said about this passage. But Father, we pray that you would help us to live it out to the best of our ability by your grace, that uh, you would increase even from the youngest to people amongst us as a child leads another child, uh, that we would learn how to be leaders by your grace, faithful leaders, good leaders. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.